Um, hi guys, uh, welcome to another product school talk. Uh, we have a ton of people out there joining us today, so really excited for that. Thanks for being here. Um, as many as you, um, as many as of you know, uh, we teach product management courses as well as coding and data. So you'll find more information on our website at productschool.com. I'm really excited about today's session because we have a very special um, guest with us. Her name is Nan Monga. She is head of product for global marketplace pricing at Amazon. And prior to Amazon, she worked in multiple product positions, including Expedia, Microsoft, and Zynga. And she has a ton of experience that she's here to share with you. Um, so hi, Nia, welcome. How are you doing today? Pretty good. So excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we're really happy to have you here. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into product management? Yeah, absolutely. So I studied computer engineering in school. And uh, honestly, me getting into product management was completely accidental. So I was interviewing with Microsoft for a deposition, and I think during the interview they realized somehow I was a better fit for a product management role. They asked me, hey, would you like to be a PM? I was like, yeah, why not? And that's how I got into product management, so completely accidental. And, you know, but I really, like, when I got into it, when I learned more about it after getting the job offer, I thought, like, this was it. Like, this seemed really interesting, and I've been doing that ever since, and really enjoying every single day, even now, so. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, I know you brought um, you brought some insights that you'd like to share with everybody today. So um, before she, she goes into that, uh, I'd like to let everyone know we're going to kind of open the floor up for Q&A after, so it'll be an AMA session um, following, um, following her talk. So uh, the floor is yours. All right. So um, first of all, I wanted to call out that I did not prepare any formal slides for this. I want this to be very conversational. So, you know, feel free to stop me anytime, ask me examples, questions, you know, let's just, you know, do this as a conversation instead of like, you know, very one way kind of talk. Um, so anyway, to give you a little bit of background, as you guys might know that I have been in product management for over 10 years. And as a result of that, I, I have a chance to, you know, mentor many interns and talk to a lot of early career early stage product managers and they always ask me for advice on like you know hey how should i you know prepare myself to be a successful product manager and so on and one of the advice that i give them is like really really think about one thing which is the launch of a product right so if there's anything i've learned in my career the most important point of your product is actually when you launch um, you know, it is literally the culmination of all your hard work. Like you have been doing all the user research, gathering requirements, user experience design, development, testing, and all of that, you know, comes to a moment of truth, which is when you launch and customers actually get to use your product. And that's when you learn a ton about, you know, whether you did all things right and you know how you can improve upon it and so on. You truly learn whether you solve the customer problem or not. Things that, you know, you would not learn from, you know, customer research or anything like that. And in the end, it's all about creating value for the customer, and that's what you're measuring when you launch, whether you actually create value for them, you solve a tangible problem that they are facing. So today's talk, I wanted to kind of focus on three lessons that I've learned myself as a product manager while launching various parts, and you know how to get better at it over time. So I'm gonna talk through them. The number one is launch as much as you can, and we'll talk about that. The second lesson is always think about one-way doors versus two-way doors when you're launching. And lastly, uh, you know, when you're launching, always have a plan, right? And they might seem like, you know, they're not super rocket science-y, but I think I'll, as I talk through them, I'll try to point out, like, you know, the common gotchas people have when they're launching and things that we easily miss or don't consider. <clears throat> 
So coming to the first lesson, it's like launch as much as you can, right? Uh, so I think I feel as a product manager, I learned the most in my career when I launched, right? And, you know, going through the cycle of, you know, creating product, launching, getting feedback and building the next product to be better and launching and so on and so forth. So I think we all human beings learn better when we do pattern matching and to, you know, create as many patterns as possible for launching. That's where you want to make sure that, you know, launching consistently and you're not waiting for years and years designing this perfect product, but you're getting feedback from the customers in the meantime by breaking it down into tangible steps uh, and developing, you know, your spidey sense over time of what is working, what is not working. So to give you an example, uh, you know, let's say we're talking about, you know, a product such as Tesla, which aspires to be a 100% automatically driven car one day. So yes, they can totally wait for like, you know, four years, five years it takes to make a fully automated car, or they can start breaking this functionality down. Let's say, you know, the first version does automatic parking. The second version does, you know, automatic cruise control on, you know, freeway. So by breaking it down, incrementally launching, you learn so much about the customer, you get to validate your hypothesis and make the product better over time. One thing to keep in mind is as you're launching, you know, it is the purpose is not just to launch and, you know, just like, hey, figure it out as you go. It's always important to have a North Star plan. Where do you want to be in like one or two years from now or three to five years from now and working backwards from there to see what are the incremental products I can launch to help me build towards that vision? And what are the risky hypotheses about customers that I need to validate for my four or five year vision to be successful? So. So this is what the lesson is all about, you know, launch incrementally, launch a lot and learn from every launch and, you know, get better over time. And this will help you develop that spidey sense that everybody talks about when they talk about product management. So that is, yeah, go on. Oh, awesome. Uh, well, speaking of launch, we just had one question um, coming mm -hmm. in from um, Additive based on uh, launching. So can you give an example of five questions every PM must answer before launch? Yeah, so I think, um, actually, you know, one of the points that I'm going to talk about will come to that. So let me take a note of this question. If it doesn't get answered through my talk, you know, we'll, we'll come back to it. Yeah. The second thing I wanted to talk about, and actually it's one of the five things that you should think about when you're launching, is beware of one-way and two-way doors. In product management, we are actually in a very high judgment jobs. All we're doing all day long is making decisions and uh, making sure, you know, we are making progress and, you know, uh, making decisions for the customer experience all the time. So as you make decisions, you don't always have all the data that's available to us. And that's where the concept of one-way and two-way doors come in. A one-way door is a product decision that is literally very painful to reverse back in time and, you know, will cause a lot of customer angst or unhappiness or pain to roll back. A two-way door is where, you know, rolling back something is much easier and you can always reverse your decision if you learn something new about the customer. To give an example, a one-way door will be, let's say you're pricing a boxed product that will be sold through a retail store. Obviously in software it doesn't happen very often, but if you're a product manager on a box store that customer is going to buy and if you decide to change back how your, um, you know, pricing is going to change, it's really painful because some people have already bought your product, how are you going to reach them, how are you going to, you know, give them, you know, the discount that you're giving to other people. So it becomes a very considered decision that you must have a lot of information to make. On the other hand, like, let's say you're a product manager on Gmail and you're launching a feature that, you know, highlights the, you know, your messages from, let's say, your friends. If you mess up, 
you can always release an update the next day, or you can roll back the feature very easily, or you know, messed quite easily to this, you know, user saying, hey, this feature will be back again in like three hours or something, right? So it's a two-way door. You can roll back your decisions without causing a lot of pain to the customer and so on. So I think my advice here will be, as you're launching, think about how to create more two-way doors, things that you can roll back and learn from, so you're not caught up in this you know, way of like, hey, I have to have a lot of data. I have to have 90% data to make this decision. And you can actually kind of make a decision move forward with 70% data and learn from the customers instead of, you know, spending enormous amount of time and missing the window of opportunity as you're launching the product. So anyway, so that's about my, um, you know, advice number two. Some of the examples of how you can create two-way doors is like how you can launch a product as a test. For example, if you're trying to re, you know, redo your pricing, could you do that as like a limited time promotion? Like, hey, for limited time only, you have this promotion, and if it works well, you know, make it perpetual. Or you know, do web-based tests instead of deploying a change to a mobile app that takes multiple weeks before it gets to the customer's hand uh, in case you want to roll back a feature that was already installed by the customer. So these are a few examples of how you can create two-way doors and, you know, reduce your risk as you're launching. All right, so number three, again, very relevant to the five questions about, like, what things you'll make sure when you're launching is always have a plan, right? Because, you know, a lot of times when I was launching, I was like, yeah, launch, done, victory, awesome, right? And I can finally relax and, you know, uh, take a little break because I've been working so hard. But too bad, as product managers, we don't have that luxury. So one of the biggest mistakes I feel the newbie product managers make is, you know, not having a plan for post-launch, right? So one of the things you need to make sure before launch is, you know, first of all, what you're expecting to learn from the launch. What metrics will you be collecting from this launch? Is that reporting ready? Are those metrics available to you? Are they bug-free? Uh, and then, let's say, and you know, almost do like a scenario analysis, like, okay, if this goes really well, and I see the metrics that I'm expecting, what will I do next? What will I double down on? Or if I see metrics that are really bad, what is my plan to fix it? What is, how am I going to pivot? What kind of options do I have? So to give an example, you know, when I was a product manager in Zynga, I launched my first web game. And one of the things I did not consider is that, hey, you know, after I launch this game, customers are going to go through all these levels and they're going to run out of content really soon. And sure as, you know, sure enough, you know, it happened and we were not ready for the new content pack, new levels for them to go play. And we would have lost all these players. So here's where, you know, I could have been better planned and prepared for like, hey, I expect customers to play through all the content in two days. In two days, I must be able to launch new content and be ready for this V2, V3, V4 of my product, right? So this is an example to kind of make it more tangible. In this case, you're super lucky. My design team came through and, you know, we had a fire drill, but thankfully we managed not to lose any, you know, users or revenue. But these, this is an example of, you know, the, the kind of mistakes we end up making, not being prepared for the V2, what happens next, and this is where you have to think about what is it I'm trying to learn from this launch? What metrics do I want to have? And what is my plan if I see metrics, you know, in case one, best case scenario, you know, normal case scenario, worst case scenario, what am I going to do? Right? So basically always having a plan. Uh, so anyway, that's all the three lessons that I had that I've learned from my own experience. To run it all back up, I think if I have to do, you know, the list of like, what are the five things I'll make sure, you know, I have thought through. One is definitely, what do I expect from the launch? What metrics will I measure? 
and what outcomes will I, you know, do if things turn out in a certain way? And, you know, obviously when you think about a launch, you know, uh, thinking about uh, do you have your, for example, development team ready to act on it if they have bugs and whatnot? So, you know, having a contingency plan, so what can go wrong? And do I have a contingency plan for all of them? Uh, the third thing I would say is, you know, um, making sure you have a strong marketing plan. Just because you launched, right, doesn't mean customers going to adopt it. So how are you going to think through a very, you know, good marketing plan? Like, are you going to do email-based marketing? Are you going to reach out to certain customers and, you know, have them adopt, you know, your beta customers? And so that's another lesson. And for some of us who work in a very B2B, business-to-business -business products, we also have the luxury of having an amazing sales force. But that, with that comes a responsibility of making sure your sales force is trained and knows that this is rolling out. So when they talk to the customers, they're not surprised or they don't know how to message or message your product incorrectly. So making sure you know your sales team is ready, is aware, and trained to go through with this, right? So I think those are the few things I can talk, think through at the top of my head. Um, um, yeah, on what I think about, you know, when I think about launching a product. I hope that was helpful. And if there are any other questions, I would love to hear, you know, your thoughts and questions. Awesome. Um, thanks for going through all of that with us. Um, there are quite a few questions that are coming through, so I'm going to mm -hmm. um, search through them right now and find uh, and find a good one to um, to bring up for you. So. Mm -hmm. Here's, um, here's one from Angit. How, um, as a product manager, do you balance between intuition and spending time trying to gather more data? Yeah, I think that is a great question because I think a lot of time, you know, data is the reason to believe, but intuition is like, because it's so hard to explain, right? How do you make decisions? And as I said, you know, as product managers, our decision is to make a um, lot of decisions all the time, right? So I think, how do you balance between that? I think I come back to kind of, uh, you know, developing intuition, but backing it up with user insights and data and behaviors. But then when you don't have that, uh, you know, a lot of times you have the intuition, but you can't explain through data. There are two ways you have. One is, you know, you go collect more data. Or second, what you do is what I mentioned, like, think about what is the two-way door here? Could I come back if I'm wrong? You know, what if I go wrong? What are the consequences? And can I turn it back? So I think that's how I will balance. Like sometimes it's really hard to get data. The opportunity might pass. Um, and then, you know, thinking through the product design in a way that you can always turn back and uh, not waiting for getting 100% of data if, you, if that's going to take too long. Right, absolutely. Um, and here, speaking of uh, two-way doors and one-way doors, we have another question related to that. So this is from Zane. Um, is the primary difference between one-way doors versus two-way doors seen between traditional retail versus software tech, like your examples, or are there examples of each across both environments? Yeah, no, I think the examples of each one of them, um, you know, even like, for example, a big product launch, let's say Amazon launching a phone, is pretty much a one-way door. You don't get that kind of opportunity as a big company to launch your products multiple times. Obviously, you know, startups have a lot more luxury in that case. So think about like how big your company is, how big your user base is. The bigger your user base is, typically, if you launch a product to them, it's it's going to affect so many lives that, you know, it tends to be more one-way doors, right? So I think big company, big user base, a B2B scenario uh, are typically the examples of where one-way doors happen more often than not. 
right? Consumer scenarios, small startups, you know, small user base is typically where you have the luxury of turning back things without causing a lot of pain. So I think um, those that is another framework to think about when you think about one-way door and two-way doors. Yeah, definitely, I think it froze for a second. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> making sure you can hear me again. Um, I am going to pull um, another question here as well. So um, here, see, we have so many coming through. These are really good. <laughs> so yeah, um, great advice. So here, this is from um, Tijmini. Um, any advice for a new PM, um, like especially the first PM at a very small company? Yeah, uh, definitely. So I think I, this is advice I give to like interns as well as new product managers, like get to your first launch as soon as you can, right? You know, a lot of times, you know, you might feel like, hey, I'm not ready or, you know, I don't own anything big or, you know, I can't, you know, launch because it depends on so many different things. Think about you can create like small experiments to learn more about your user behavior and test out the entire cycle of going from, you know, user research to requirements to development, testing and all that and going through the cycle because I think it helps you develop appreciation for a full cycle that feeds back into the next time you're going through the same cycle, right? So as you're a new product manager, think about the smallest things you can launch and learn from. Obviously, don't launch just for the sake of it, right? It right. has to have a hypothesis that you're trying to confirm through launch and uh, learn from it and go through the cycle of, okay, now that I have launched, here's how I'm going to analyze the data. Here's how I'm going to you know, work towards a V2 and you know, go through the cycle over and over again. So that is the advice I give. Don't be constrained that I'm an intern and you know I only have three months. You know I can't launch anything. It's going to take me so much time. Think about how you can fashion the cycle, because it fashions your cycle of learning as a product manager. Yeah, definitely, really good advice. Um, and then speaking of larger companies, this question is from Anish. Um, what should a product manager at a company like Amazon be focusing on in their first 100 days? Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. And having gone through my first 100 days recently, I think I'll tell you um, from my experience. So like bigger companies, especially companies like Amazon, especially because I'm in B2B, I spent a lot of my first 100 days understanding the business because it, it was so much more complex than any of the businesses I've, you know, uh, kind of led before. So I think understanding the business. Uh, you know, understanding how things work in the sense, you know, what is the product that we are selling? What is the value proposition? How does it affect customer life and all that? Second thing, which is the most important thing, is talking to your customers. So within the first one month, I set up one-on-one -on -one interviews with sellers. So I work on the marketplace side where I work with the sellers who sell on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So setting up time with them, understanding what they do, how Amazon or you know whatever company you're in changes your life or affects them, what pain points they have to kind of form a perspective of what your users are like and what problems they're facing. And don't limit yourself to just Amazon, like, hey, how does Amazon or whatever company I work for changes your life? Like, hey, what are your goals as a business? What makes you successful in general? Because I think the broader perspective you have about your customer's life, you might learn so much more. Uh, for example, you know, when I was talking to my sellers, I was like, hey, you know, I want to not only understand how you interact with Amazon, but tell me about your supply chain. Tell me about the parts that don't get affected by Amazon today, today, but they might be impacted tomorrow. Maybe I can invent something that can help you in other parts of your life, which are not solved by our solutions yet. 
So understanding the business, understanding the users, getting to know, you know, uh, your teammates, obviously, uh, and, you know, the strengths and weaknesses they have and as we have as a business. I think those are the few things that I focused on when I first joined Amazon. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, we have a lot more, so I'm going to try to get through for you. Um, let's see. Here, oh, what advice would you give for planning or gathering data for non-web-based products? Non-web-based products. Yeah, that's super interesting. So, um, so I have worked in Microsoft where I worked on Office, which is a box product at that point of time before it became Office 365. So I'm just trying to think from that experience. So first of all, even though we had a non-web-based product, that doesn't mean you cannot you know, collect usage metrics. So always think of like devising system that you can still collect usage metrics that come back to you in some way. So anyway, like, but taking a higher level view of data. So there are two kinds of data you can always get. One is qualitative, one is quantitative, right? Mm -hmm. Qualitative is like, you know, you can talk to the users directly and understand like, hey, how do you use this product? How does it solve your life? You know, whatever problem that you have, or how does it fit into your work and your daily life and so on? So I think talking to users and, you know, building that relationship with some of your uses directly so you can just pick up the phone and you know call them hey we lost this what is your experience and all that so that's one the second is you know you know if you have a product which is not web based but is an app always be reading all the reviews you know you will be surprised how much you can gain by reading all the reviews of your apps or whatever product you're launching through you know these kind of channels the third is Think about how you can build pipelines, data pipelines, so you can still get quantitative data on how they're actually using the product so that you can form hypotheses based on their usage and see what product features you expect it to be super used and not as well used and is that matching your hypothesis. So, so those are the ways I think about when I think about user data, qualitative and quantitative, and thinking of different channels that you can get it from, whether it's through reviews, whether it's directly talking to the customers, whether maybe it's doing surveys and sending out you know, mass emails and surveys on specific questions and so on. Okay. Great. Um, yeah, this question is from uh, Um What do you recommend doing after a failed product? Right. I think that is the most interesting, you know, question, you know, today, I feel. So, yeah, products fail, right? And I think, first of all, knowing that it failed, right? And for that, you have to know what you expected and what did not happen. So there are multiple ways you can go about it. But I think it starts with understanding why it failed, right? So it failed because there was a critical bug. Is there something we can quite easily fix? Um, or it failed for a very fundamental reason that it actually did not solve the customer problem, right? So if it failed for the first reason, then you know what you need to fix, you know, incrementally making your product better, releasing V1.1, V1.2, and making those things better. Those are for the smaller issues, issues that you can understand and kind of fix very easily through software. The other thing that can happen is like, well, your product failed because of a very fundamental reason that it did not solve the customer problem. And there's a bigger, customer insight that we missed or you missed, you know, because of, sorry, in a meeting right now? Sorry guys, I booked the conference room here and then someone walked in. Yeah, so if it failed for a very fundamental reason, I think then you need to reevaluate where you wanna be. So there are a few things you can do. We can pivot your product or literally do one of the hardest things that many product managers have done and that's actually the strength of a product manager. 
admit your mistake, shut down the product and work on something different, solve a different problem. And yeah, I would, you know, a lot of times we have confirmation bias, like, hey, but I really worked on it. It can be solved. Like, think about very objectively. Is this really something that you want to double down on even when it fails? Or is it a better path to focus on a different problem? And I think that's the hardest decision to make. Right, absolutely. <laughs> um, we have time for just a couple more questions. So let's see here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Here's one from Miriam. What if you come in to manage a product that's already launched? How do you justify all the changes that you uh, would propose? Like, where would you even start? Uh, do you mind repeating that question one more time? Sure. Um, what if you're coming in to manage a product that's already launched? Mm -hmm. so, and you want to make changes to that? How would you just justify those changes? And um, where would you start to propose them? Yeah, so I think uh, I find it weird that, you know, you have to justify changes because I think the reason you're making changes is because there's some customer problem or some reason for you to even have those changes, right? For example, the reason you're suggesting changes is not because you came in and you're like, wow, I don't like the UI, it could be different. The reason you're suggesting changes is you heard from customers that this is not meeting my needs. It needs to do X, Y, and Z or improve here or there's something broken that is causing me pain, right? right? So I think that those are the reasons that you start from to suggest those changes and that helps you justify those changes, right? So that's one. The second reason is because, you know, uh, these are incremental changes, right? The one that I gave you example for. The second is like, well, you inherited a product and you're like, no, actually this can be so much better. And I have a three-year vision for it where I want to take it from here to there. So I think then how you can start is like, hey, here's a North Star vision. Here we think this product can be in three years. And here are the reasons I believe it will help customers. And we can actually get there because we have the competency or you know whatever the reason may be. And then working backwards from there to say, hey, this is what we should be doing right now to reach there and that justifies your process of like, hey, I need to make a change because we it's a step towards that direction or I want to make a change because, because it actually addresses a customer feedback or a pain point I, I have learned about, right? So it's not the other way around where like, hey, I like this feature, I should build it and here's you know, how I'm finding ways to justify it. It actually has to start with the customer and the justification. Right, no, that, that's perfect, and that actually answers another question from Kevin, I believe, which was how far, um, how far in advance should you plan our your your north star? Which um, I, I you mentioned three years is a good um, is a good yeah. time frame for that. So perfect. Um, I'm going to take one last question. If you could recommend mm -hmm. some um, reading resources um, that you would recommend for folks trying to change from engineering into product management. So, or from engineering into product management. Wow, there is there are actually a ton of books and honestly, like I don't remember all the names right now. But you know, because I get asked this question so often, I have created a blog post on this. Uh, I don't know how I can share this. Maybe I can send it over to you and you know, I you know, as a post uh, talk resources, you can share it with the you know folks who are listening in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a there's a ton of books out there that you can read and learn from about product management. Uh, the basics as well as you know. Uh, things that you can learn to be better as product managers by applying frameworks and so on. Perfect, awesome. And and on that question as well, we just recently launched the product book, and you can find that on Amazon. Um, so we have one of those too. So um, before we go, if you could um, just give some final advice to aspiring product managers. Uh, yeah, so I think the most important advice I give to can can even offer to any product managers like be customer obsessed. 
that is number one. Like you have to be customer obsessed and everything has to start from the customer. Um, you know, and it's not to say like, you know, you ask, hey, customer, what is your problem? And verbatim, go solve that. But I think you have to develop like deep inside and empathy for your customer to understand what their problems are and solve them in a way which hopefully they would also not have imagined, right? One of my favorite quotes is like, if anybody asked, you know, um, you know, back in the days, like, hey, you know, you are using horse right now. I think it's uh, attributed to Henry Ford. They would have said like, yeah, I just want a faster horse. Nobody would have imagined a, imagine a car. So it's your job as a product manager to invent on behalf of the customer by understanding their problem. It's not to say you verbatim take like, hey, I want this button to be here. And you know, you put the button there. It's more like understanding, developing deep insights, empathy, and working backwards from there to invent on behalf of the customer. So that is my biggest advice I can give to anybody as a product manager. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Um, being here to answer all these questions and, and sharing your insights. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, talking to so many folks here. Awesome. Um, thanks again, everybody, for joining us today as well. Um, as I mentioned, we released the, the product book, so you can find that on Amazon. Uh, you can learn more about our courses at productschool.com, and we also are on Facebook and Twitter at Product School. So thanks again, and uh, enjoy your day. Bye, guys.